recording going. Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Hawaii Stan. That's right, Stan Willerchuk coming back. He's back again. What is he back for? We're not talking human-centric lighting this time. We're talking about controls. He had a lot of great stuff to talk about with controls, and so we got into it with him. Before we get there, got to remember that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Keystone Technologies. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H dot com, baby. That's KeystoneTech.com, Greg. Hey, you know what? We do a lot of lighting projects here, and I think you do as well. And a lot of times you run into emergency lighting. Mm -hmm. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's by mistake. Sometimes it hits you by surprise. And a lot of times you're doing a lighting retrofit, you find a fixture, and you need to all of a sudden figure out how to get that thing back to emergency. Keystone has a great solution for that. It's their smart, safe LED emergency backup. It actually is a little module you can bang into a fixture with a battery backup, and now you don't need to worry about whatever you might have done to that fixture. You can make it emergency pretty easily, pretty inexpensive, and to code. Awesome product. Check it out. Go to KeystoneTech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. That's KeystoneTech.com. Light made easy, the retrofit kings. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to NAILD.org. Everybody is. Everybody's joining. If you got lights in the where in a warehouse, what are you waiting for, son? This is your association. But right now, we got Hawaii Stan. Stan Willerchuk from the Human Centric Lighting Society on the Get a Grip Online podcast. Welcome back to the show, Stan. How are you? Very good. You're welcome, and, and good. hello to both of you again. Okay. So we had a, an hour-long conversation a couple of weeks ago um, about circadian and human-centric and all that sort of stuff, and we never swung around to the controls, and we decided to, to do a par deux. So I read your emails, and... You know, Stan, I can't tell what you're, whether you're a booster of controls or whether you're against controls or if there's somewhere in the middle. That's a very good question. For energy savings with today's LEDs, they're often not cost effective. I mean, they are cost effective, like if it's in a warehouse that's hardly ever used. But in a lot of applications, typical private offices, elementary school classrooms, et cetera, the wattage is so low that even if control saved 100% with the parts and labor, the financial return would still be bad. But on the other hand, with non-energy benefits, um, they can be very cost-effective but uh, and, and, and really dwarf the energy savings. Okay, we're going to hold off on that topic. for. Are you going right into that, Greg? Because I'd rather just sort out some other things that we understand before we move forward to that. You going there? Uh, sure. Yeah, eventually. You go. Okay, so before yes, we get into the non-energy benefits, which I, which I think is an emerging area, right? It's an emerging payback yeah, area, yes. right? Let, I mean, mm. so when it comes to the energy savings benefits, and I think Bill Scrow from Namco said it best when he called it the IoT of things. <laughs> I love that, <laughs> the IoT of things, right? So that, that emerging area is a little bit confusing for people, and I, I want you to comment on it in a second, but there's a few things that I've said on this show from day one that I still think are true when it comes to energy savings. First of all, in the LED world, we don't know how LEDs, LEDs really perform when switched on and off 20 times a day. We don't really know that, okay? Now, maybe that doesn't change it. Maybe it does, 
Okay. The second thing is that dumb controls can accomplish all the non all the energy savings benefits that smart controls can, in terms of turning lights off, like a well commissioned passive infrared ultrasonic occupancy sensing system in a parking garage can pretty much do all the energy efficiency that an IoT, an, IO, an Internet of Things could do or a Bluetooth mesh network. You know, maybe the, the, the smart can, can, can you know, dial it up another 3 or 4%, but if you commission those sensors correctly, that you can accomplish all the energy savings if you wanted to in most applications using dumb controls. Would you agree with those two premises? Yes, but I want to go a step further, and that yep. is sometimes a manual control is the very best control. I've done various projects in elementary school classrooms and private offices, which I called own spaces. Mm -hmm. And I did data loggers before and after. And before you have a bunch of people, um, private office workers, teachers, or the energy cop kids that turn the lights off manually every time they leave for a recess, lunch, et cetera. Mm. And after we installed occupancy sensors, people would allow the 10 to 15 minute delay and actual burn time actually increased with the occupancy sensors. Yes, yes. And, I, and there's also the uh, effect of false trips from HVAC equipment, um, from, I know ultrasonic always seemed pretty reliable to me in bathrooms, but passive infrared we'd have, when I data logged it as well, we'd have false trips a lot of, a lot of times um, where we had to go back and recommission the controls. And then there's also with the microphonic, those were also proved to have a lot of false trips. And um, this is real world street knowledge. I'm not trying to tell anybody, you know, I learned this from having to commission controls. The second thing I found is that, I, in, and I did a lot of work on controls before LED, like lots, and I kind of dropped them after LED because it didn't make any sense at all. But I always did, um, when we did a system and the customer went for the, you know, the good system that we wanted to sell them, we did manual override, regular light switch on the wall to ceiling mounted occupancy sensor to the lights or manual dimmer on the wall to ceiling mounted occupancy sensor, uh, ceiling mounted occupancy sensor down to manual dimmer and then up to the lights, all sorts of stuff like that. So you, you retained the, the, the control that people could turn off their lights if they wanted to because there was often times where they'd want to turn off the lights. So... I, you know, I, I would like to know if, if we're, so we're in agreement with all that, the false trips. Did you have a lot of false trips when you did uh, uh, occupancy control systems? Uh, yes. Uh, and all, and also um, the, um, the occupancy sensor exercise to turn them back on when people go like this. <laughs> uh, we got, we got both of that. One thing I also want to mention, a lot of people are not aware of this is the standby losses from sensors. Just a regular occupancy sensor can sometimes be a watt. And if the switch is not turned off, that's on 24-7. And you think one watt is not very much, but for 8,760 hours a year or whatever, that can be substantial. And some of the advanced control systems, like a project that DOE recently did, is that um, they were three watts per fixture. And that was 20% of the savings from the whole project. And a lot of people don't understand the standby losses. Hmm. There's cert I certainly never factor those in. But so, okay, so we have a sort of an understanding that the old controls realm that, you know, offered three to five year paybacks, maybe in a good case scenario for fluorescent, went out the window with LED, right? 
and, and extend Correct. it to five to eight years. And now the controls market is coming back and we're looking at non-energy benefits. Craig, is there anything you want to jump in here with before we get into that? I just yeah, wanted I to establish so. some ground rules, Stan. You know what I mean? That, that we understand yeah. some of sure. the same things. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think what you were talking about, Michael, is, and I agree with, is a vacancy sensor where you manually turn the lights on, you're in the room, and now you might forget to turn it off. That's what the, the vacancy sensor does. It turns the lights off automatically for you. Is that what you were mentioning that you did a lot of? Yes. Yeah, that's what it yeah. is. A vacancy sensor is probably better the better term. But the the other thing, the other the other um, the other issue um, uh, with uh, with the sensors as well, um, and sort of dumb sensors or whatever, and this idea, like if you did it right, Stan, it really gave people the feeling of energy efficiency. Like all of the energy efficiency was happening with the wattage reduction. But when they had the president tour the factory and all the lights in the rack aisles were off and we went down that rack aisle and the lights came on and, you know, halfway down that rack aisle and you walked further in the other half, it really gave people the feeling, the idea of energy savings, although most of the savings was coming from the actual wattage reduction, not the sensors. A really poorly designed vacancy control system would do the opposite. It would really annoy the heck out of people. And that's what you were talking about with these arms waving. So let's get into it now. <laughs> the non-energy benefits. Well, uh, I just want to mention one thing while we're still on energy benefits yeah. and everybody can have the Excel table that I sent to both of you. Yeah. I took a standard private office with two two by fours with 17 watt, 165 lumen per watt LED trougher kits. And use like dumb sensors, smart sensors, even sensors that could that could you know save a hundred percent. And once you're down at really low wattage, not just normal LED wattage, but really top of the line LED, like 165 lumen per watt, uh, sensors are just have a terrible payback. So instead of looking at normal LED, really look at top of the line, also like 200 lumen per watt high base, for example. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I was looking at, I mean, you, your paybacks range from three years to 54 years. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I and saw that. Payback, <laughs> and and payback, the best payback is lighting only. And the yeah. other thing too, is I really wish that, that um, lighting professionals or contractors would separate the savings from lighting and controls. Well, then you're not going to sell any controls, Stan. Uh, well, <laughs> exactly. I know, and that, but that's what I think that uh, end users really need to look at before they spend their money. Yeah, and you, I, I mean, you talked about yeah, you I, have the long-term comprehensive benefit, and that's is that really what this non-energy benefits are all about? Is that where you can try no, to sell payback? No. No, that that is different. But I'm looking at 10 years. I'm looking at the whole picture, including lighting quality, which is part of non-energy benefits. But um, there's a whole bunch more that we can get into whenever you want to. All right. Well, Greg, do you want to kick it off here onto the non-energy benefits with some skepticism? Or do we want to start off with some? Well, I I, I think think before, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we're believers in this side of it, so you need to convince us. Is that fair, Greg? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think to me, though, I'm, I'm a believer that that's the only reason you'd really consider it is a non-energy benefit. But I don't know yes. that it's worth 
the cost of doing it. So convince us that it's worth the cost of doing there you go. controls from a non-energy standpoint. Okay, at least for early adopters at this stage, maybe two to three years for, for general. But for early adopters now, we can do a lot of things. For one thing, for human-centric lighting, you can automatically change Kelvin and, and light levels throughout the day so people don't have to do it individually, especially like in an open office. But And also like hospitals, which I might have mentioned in the last session, there has been at least two hospitals I'm aware of. I can't tell the name of the hospitals, but um, they want they wanted to know where their wheelchairs were in their gurneys. And so they did smart controls so they would know where their gurneys and wheelchairs are. And, and then there's the big box stores of the world. A Target has taken the lead where every, every lighting fixture has a digital address and they program the products underneath them. And you go in, I wanna buy bed sheets. They'll tell you exactly where to go. We also have sales on pillows. And then also when you're checking out, you can just use your smartphone and you can check out faster. Other stores are copying that as well. Um, and, and there's a there, there's a number of, of other ones, but but just those are, are really, really significant. One last thing is like, let's say you have a multi-tenant office building and you have two tenants with the same square footage, but one works a lot of overtime. One is just nine to five Monday through Friday. Normally, depending on their leases, they're going to be billed the same amount for utilities. But with smart control sensors, they can tell the hours that, that each the lights are on and then they can build them appropriately. Also for security, let's say there's an office building and somebody comes in at two o'clock on Sunday morning, then they're not supposed to be there. You could have a smart system that could um, tell security, maybe even tell police, maybe even lock the doors. Will they come um, and, and take the sheets? Will they take the sheets and make put them on my bed? I'm just joking. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wash them too? No, I'm just joking. Of course. So I, I get the, the smart lighting thing, which we want to hear more about, but going back real quick, just the human-centric lighting, you, you said yes. that the controls have the ability to do that, but no one knows what to do. I have the ability to control the Kelvin in my office, but no one has told me, put it on this Kelvin from this time to this time and this light level. And So until we know that, I don't know that there's a real argument for it. And not only that, well, though, I would also say that mim mimicking the color, when they're not sure if mimicking the color actually has the same effect as the, the light from the sun and its color would have. Like, that's not proven yet, is it, Stan? Well, um, as we talked about in the last session, I mean, one of the things basically to have blue and rich light especially in the morning and most of the day, but avoid it one to two hours before you go to bed and higher light levels up except before you go to bed. But there's some brand new research, which I hinted at last time, that there's, it, might, it might be much more valid with what's called blue to yellow contrast or op, um, um, opponency. Um, now that's brand new. And it's going to take some while to get that. And maybe the normal 450 nanometer blue pumped LEDs are not going to be sufficient for that. So, um, but, but I do think that we do have, like I think I mentioned, like in the school that I did fourth grade, the kids would even tell the teacher, turn on the 6,500 Kelvin LEDs because we can learn math better. Nobody even told them about human-centric lighting. They just felt they could learn math better. 
So part of this is just let people have controls and see what they do. But in an open office, you can't like, you have to have something that's general for everybody unless you're going to get really a complex system. But in private, um, private rooms, you know, to have individual control is fine. Sure. Yeah, I mean, okay, Greg, you go. I, I, have, I have a bunch of questions, but I'm going to save them. Um, because I, okay. I, I think I think you're kind of answering them a little bit, and I, I want to save it till the end. Go ahead, a little bit. Go ahead, Greg. So the, the human centric lighting, I think we can all agree that you know that's nice to have the capability, but until we know what to do, doesn't really make sense. Or right until now, we're from my like, like we have some like what I'm saying is that the classroom that's anecdotal. Okay, for mm -hmm. every story like that, I would that I've heard from various lighting professionals, Stan, I've heard probably. 50 stories about negativity, about high Kelvin temperature, flicker, all the other, other negative benefits, right? So we have anecdotal stories on both sides, okay? Now, um, that doesn't mean that, you know, it's probably because people, I hear more bad stories because people like to complain more. Um, but that doesn't, that anecdote is not, an anecdote is not a rule. It's not a, a guiding force. It's just nice to hear. You know, and I think we're, I think we can say that the circadian part is exciting and emerging, but we don't have the ability to do that as a non-energy benefit yet, do we? Well, I did mention about the aging care facility in, in Minnesota and more of those are going to be done in Illinois as soon as Rod Heller gets the funding for it for Midwest uh, Lighting Institute. Mm -hmm. But at least the one in Minnesota, and you can call it anecdotal or whatever, but with the change of lighting, they reduce falls by 30%. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, an H fall can cost $30,000, but that's not, that's so, not, that's not, that's not, that's not what we're talking about with the, uh, with the circadian and the, the blue. Yes. Yes, it is. Because the falls were done during the day, not during the night because they, they called for people to help. So the falls were during the day. So having them more alert during the day, uh, was a big factor in reducing the falls. But Rod Heller is a research scientist. He's not a lighting professional. Well, he's actually a lighting professional that got into research and he's using some of the best PhDs um, in the world right. to help him out. He, he's had a lighting retrofit contracting business for 20 years. So, so he's a, a lighting retrofit contractor, but he's, his yeah. funding is coming from a, like a research grant or something like that. Uh, correct. And he's been searching yes. for money and, and he's been getting very good people at Harvard. Good. Like that, that's what we need is we need results from that kind of a study. And to gain momentum at that, we're seeing that in the horticultural space right now, where academia is pushing into that space and really providing guidance to business. And that's what we need right now is guidance from academia to say to us, look, this works. Here's why. We have double blind survey one, double blind survey two, whatever it is that you need to do it. And I, I think that that's really important. But what I'm asking you, is it is it time for the everyday lighting consultant to try to go out? Let me ask this, Greg. Is it time for Premier mm -hmm. Lighting to start selling this sort of stuff based on that? I don't think it is yet. I think you need people that are a little bit above the average lighting distributor in knowledge. No, I don't know. What do you think? And customers that are ready to take a chance. From a human-centric standpoint, yeah, I, I would say so. I, I think the smart lighting, there's potential of. And I, I know it's being done, you know, with, with in terms of what you mentioned at Target um, and things like that. But not everybody's doing that yet. And it's costly to upgrade and do that. Um, but I can see that model working at some point. I Once think it's already working. 
working mm -hmm. now and, and going back, one of the simplest things are is using tunable LED task lights, which don't cost that much more than just on off dimming LED task lights. <laughs> and I've seen people really, and even if they don't know the science behind human centric lighting, I usually see them using them in a good way that would generally be recommended. Plus they're happy with the control because in an open office, you don't have a lot of control over your space. And if you can give somebody a task light, they can turn on and off, aim, dim and change Kelvin, that gives them more um, control and that can help their worker satisfaction and maybe even help their worker productivity. But, and it doesn't cost that much more than a regular LED task light. I have an anecdotal scenario here for you. Let's say you're imitating circadian rhythm in a 24 hour workplace, or you want to put in a human centric lighting system for the people working in this office. And let's say you're their warehouse pickers, which would be very common. So let's say you have a third party logistics center and they're going, it's get, coming towards Christmas. They're going, they're going all out to fulfill all their orders. And they got hundreds of employees back there on forklifts 24 hours a day. And we set up a system that's human centric or circadian rhythm friendly or whatever it is that you want to do. And during the day, you mimic that Kelvin temperature, you give them the high blue, whatever it is that, that's best for them at that point. And then at night, you lower the Kelvin temperature for the workers No, at night. because again, everybody has their own day. If you work third shift, your day is the nighttime. If you work second shift, your day is then. So, you, so you're not always mimicking daylight you do it on what your day is and regard related to that is that there's a study at university of wisconsin hospital um, having human centric lighting seeing if uh, more blue intense light at third shift will reduce the um, uh, medical errors during third shift and that and that's being double blinded i mean a uh, third party reviewed and when that re those results come out that could be very helpful to everybody hmm. Okay. Okay. What other benefits are there for non-energy standpoint? Um, you're a biophilia. Well, oh yeah. Yes. I mean, you you try to make you know more natural. So if you have the control of changing light levels and, and Kelvin in a room can be really good, and also to do it automatically. Like for example, sometimes in some office buildings, instead of just having the HVAC on and off, there's work now that it's good to have like a blast, like it's like a breeze coming in. And also like in the room, instead of having constant light leveling, constant Kelvin for, you know, 15, 30, an hour, whatever, you, you could have like little changes that, that could really help because, because humans don't like things that are static. Now, again, this is really early, but, but if people feel better, even if they don't understand why, uh, at least try to check that out and see how it goes. Yeah, I think, I think those things are worth, are worth looking at. I, I know that when I go to a conference and we sit in the same room all day, it can be tiring. Is whether if, if you get up and just go to a different room and then a different room and have a different feeling, it, it keeps you more alert. Whether that's related to light level and HVAC, I, I think a lot of that can be speculation, although some speculations sound better than others. I agree. Um, in your, uh, um, the one note you had sent us, you said that, and I wasn't sure if this was negative or positive. You had said that in the um, ASHRAE, 
that the reason why controls got put into ashray was because certain people stayed at the table and other people didn't. Do you think that that controls should be mandated into these kinds of uh, of um, energy regulation? Okay. Or, what are they called? Uh, building okay. codes and energy codes. Uh, um, thank you for bringing that up, and because. It was, this was about 15, 20 years ago where a lot of the control proponents, manufacturers, contractor associations, et cetera, even individuals that really wanted controls and made a lot of money with controls, the parts or the labor, um, they went to ASHRAE meetings, they went to every one and all day long or whatever where other people had their work to do. So they could give their input, but they weren't there all the time. And this worked really well with ASHRAE and they mandated controls. And then um, the next California Title 24 came out and they did that same thing and it worked with Title 24. I think it's also done with some other energy codes as well. Um, and, you know, and that was even before LED. Now there's a difference between new construction because you don't know how people are gonna use the light and it doesn't cost that much more to install a wall sensor than uh, install a wall switch. So for new construction, I can understand why you'd want controls, but for lighting retrofits, let the end user and the lighting professionals decide what they want to do. It means they can keep their lighting as they want to, and if they can keep it, they should be able to retrofit it as they want to, with or without controls. And might, maybe if they have X amount of money, they would save a lot more just doing just lighting than lighting with controls. Hmm. Well, you, you know what's you know what's interesting. So again, I'm not sure whether you're a proponent of this or not. <laughs> Which side of that fence were you on? With like, so I, I kind of agree, I, I would agree with you that whenever the whenever um uh what, do you, what would you call them? Are those lobbyists are they uh, they're lobbyists on behalf of the controls industry? Um, what would you call that? Stakeholders that are overrepresented, whatever that you want to call them. I mean, I, I would call them lobbyists. They're lobbyists. Okay. So, uh, the land of the free and the home of the lobbyist. Um, I mean, that's how laws get made in America. Um, do you think that in order for us to start to see the, the non-energy benefits of controls, that these health benefits should be or can be put into any kind of regulation safely without making a big mistake? Yes, we're not there yet. Um, but after some of the studies come out, like the University of Wisconsin Hospital and some other studies, like for aging care facilities, we'll have better sense also when, when the yellow-blue contrast gets more developed, we'll know a lot more. We might not even need high Kelvin. We'll, you know, we'll just have enough blue and yellow in the LEDs that'll still be warm white and it'll still work. We don't know that yet, and we do know that there is a benefit of having blue and rich light certain times of the day in the morning post-lunch dip. But there's a lot more that we can probably improve that's going to take a while, but if somebody's going to do something, I think we have enough tools to do something now. Hmm. So as far as quantifying it, you also had that in there, quantifying the non-energy benefits of, of a control upgrade. How do you do that for someone? Well, you know, you know, it's, it's interesting, like uh, in the white paper that, you know, people can also get a copy of, um, like me at the Midwest Energy Institute in Chicago, 
said that 75% of the benefits of, of energy, not just lighting, but other measures as well, can be non-energy. And you can read that, that whole report, just go on the web you know, and check that out. Other utilities and other factors have done something similar as well. It's a little bit more complex, but you can, you can see the logic and things that are used when they come up with those kinds of numbers. So how, how do you guys, you have a list here of them. How do you quantify it? Well, part of it is, you know, like for certain things like worker productivity or whatever, I like to get human resources involved. You know, like let, let's do some mock-ups and let's get feedback also for what say special needs classrooms uh, for elementary schools. Let's, let's do mock-up in a couple of those classrooms. Let's get feedback from teachers, parents, and the students, you know, and, and work from there. Again, we're not all the way there. I think we just need more um, case studies so we can know what to do better in the future. And without doing the projects now, we're never going to learn fast enough. Yeah, I just think it's gonna be hard to ever measure productivity, you know, in certain terms. You know, we were at the Horticand Lighting Conference last week, and they talked about, that's where we could see a, a production increase yield so per square foot plants. yield per yeah. square foot right that makes sense to me from a human performance standpoint i don't know if it ever will because i think it's too variable and i don't think you can say that somebody's going to work better under this and i think there okay, are different well, kinds of humans and i'm not going to get into really? that but i think they there's different sure. kinds of humans that evolved in different climates and different levels of sun exposure and have, you know, maybe they have various degrees of, like we know that in Canada, immigrants to Canada that are not from Northern nations have a very difficult time in their first couple of winters um, in Canada, more than, than um, the average Canadian. Is that because of seasonal defective disorder? Do they take time to acclimatize? I, I just, I don't know if, if um, anything universal can be stamped on anything and to put it into regulations i think would be very crude at this point do you not agree with that stan well i wouldn't put in regulations but i want to at least give people the flexibility to and the opportunity to be able to play with kelvin and light levels and let's see how people do it and let's see how people react um there's been a number of school studies in addition to what i've done um, in washington state and in wisconsin uh, that, uh, that, that test scores did improve, um, you know, regarding these issues. But now that you have studies that show test scores improving, like, uh, yes. from classrooms. Uh, yeah. Yes. Renton, Renton's a school district in Washington state. Um, and I can provide some of that, that later. And there's been some other studies around the world, not just in the United States, but in Europe and Southeast Asia as well. Now, again, none of these are like double blind or whatever you want to do, but we're getting more in that direction. Since these systems don't cost that much more, um, I just think it's worth it uh, when people can afford it to go with tunable systems in a lot of applications. Not all applications, but a lot of applications. Hmm. Greg, you ever so seen your lights? It, I don't. I've kept them at 35K the whole time I've had them in. But I can make them do whatever I need. So I just need somebody to tell me what mm. to do. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what to do. Someone, come on the show. Yeah. 
You know, um, but, you know, going back to the Target stores, and it's not just Target stores, it, it's also warehouses with robots or people, um, you know, with, with the intelligence of, of what's under every high bay, you know, that can really, really help find things faster. Um, well, that's not lighting you know, controls, the, though, you know, I mean, I think there's a difference, like one of the things that, um, you know, I, I think always seems somewhat a little bit odd to me is that a lot of these systems are only being put on light fixtures simply because light fixtures are so pervasive in a building. So they're, they're not really lighting controls as much as they are, hey, there's some electricity there and it's connected to the internet. Let's just put our control on that thing. I mean, that's not, that's not a lighting control. That's just a control that happens to be put on a light fixture. Correct, but it is a control and they're associated <laughs> with lighting. But, but I do agree, and that's one thing that Heiru in, in China is really stating, like, you know, and also Cisco and Facebook, whatever, and they might be the main players in this stuff. They go, lighting guys, you know, use it to your lighting, but let's us do all the software, et cetera, because we're, we're much better at it. And, and I think that's the way things are going to go instead of having lighting manufacturers put their lighting systems with, with, with their lighting fixture. I mean, their controls with their lighting fixtures so do you think uh, people are going to be able to go or we as lighting distributors can go back to people that we retrofit a led and and tell them now we should put controls in and here are the reasons why from a non-energy standpoint well at least i bring it up to them uh, because most of what i do is i do a feasibility study and i have all these options i might have 20 options like for a typical private office um you know, some are going to be really cheap, like just going to T-LEDs using the existing ballast. And some of them are going to be all the way of getting rid of the troffers and going suspended direct indirect that are tunable and tunable task lights. And um, I'll go over the pros and cons of every one of those to, you know, find out where they think. And they think some of the benefits are too high or too low. Let's just change the Excel spreadsheet. Let's do some mock-ups and see. And those certain people want to do it. Others don't. I'm okay. At least I want to give them all the information that I have so they can make a good decision. See, my sales process is a little bit different. I'll give them the least amount of information, but the one I think is best, that's most likely to close, that I think is a good system for them. So I, I'm not prepared to get into that as a lighting distributor. And this is what this podcast with you is about, Stan, because you're kind of, you're, you know, you're in the, with the human-centric thing and, and that's you know, where you know, you're positioning yourself in business, for me, I'm positioning myself as being unsure. And I think Craig's in the same boat. That doesn't mean we're, you know, we're right and you're wrong. The podcast here is to have a discussion. But here's what I would say, and I want you to comment on this. I think the IoT lighting controls and um, environmental impact crowd should get out of the interior of buildings and deal with the problems we've created outside. And I think the most obvious place to have a benefit for lighting controls is to turn off lights outside at night when they're not necessary. And the reason why I'm saying this, and to get the Kelvin temperatures right outside, to tune those lights. And the reason why I'm saying these things is because we're absolutely certain how to screw things up and hurt things with lighting. We know what hurts, right? We know that outdoor lighting at night is basically hazardous waste. 
if not, even if it's dark sky compatible, um, it can be still hazardous waste. You know, in a sense, that's my word, but that's what I'm calling it. And but the focus seems to be on the interior of the building, and controlling lights on the inside, where we're not sure what the benefits are. So there's huge stretches of highway in Canada, United States, that are lit up all night long that cause problems for wildlife, um, and 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 other things. And we have these speculations on the inside where we're not so sure if it's going to have the positive impact. You, you're following me here, Stan? I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit with this, but we know for sure outdoor that it will impact. Okay. Um, I agree with you at a certain extent. Um, but a lot of the, the smart streetlights or what other people are calling smart cities, all the smart city stuff is exterior lighting. There's hardly any interior lighting in the whole of smart um, smart city programs across the country and the world. Uh, we still don't have it exactly right for like with animals um, outside for lighting like we do for people. Um, but for inside, you know, going back to controls like warehouses that hardly get any traffic at all and just having sensors that can turn them on and off or, or high and low. Also, a lot of forklift drivers think they're NASCAR drivers. And they drive so fast that you want to have smart controls that it doesn't only just turn on the high bay in front of you, but two or three in front of you. So they have a good perspective of that. And that's stuff we know without having to get into human centric lighting. So we can do that. We can stuff. do that. You can do that with a passive infrared sensor, too. Well, well you can't get the next one over. Sure you, can you can get the one in front of sure you. Sure you can. Um, you, you can easily do that. You can. That's not that's uh, not a that's not a smart control zoning. play. You just zone it you up. Zone it. Uh, I, yeah. um, I, I disagree, at least with with my work on that, to you know, to really go that much further down the row instead of lighting up the whole row. Uh, what you well, what you can do, and I'm not going to argue with you about this, but you can you can wire the controls so that the first fixture turns on the first three or four lights, and the second fit the second like there's tons of ways to do that, um, without okay. having to connect them to a computer. Like I, okay. you can do, you can do all that that whole scenario with passive infrared. Okay. Like that's not that's not a killer there. Um. So, well, you know, I think we've uh, obviously we've had an industry discussion, Stan, that people are going to find interesting, and there's going to be people that weigh in on your side and people that weigh in on your on, on our side. I think the long play is with you. I think eventually we're going to figure this out. And pioneers like you are going to lead the way. But for right now, Greg, I don't think I'm ready to start selling this sort of stuff. Not ready to sell it. Ready to hear more about it. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And again, say. my perspective is different. I don't work for a manufacturer. I don't work for a distributor. Um, I consult for end customers. They yes. usually hire me because I will give them choices. And I don't make the, the, I don't make, I mean, I give them options and I don't make the choices. They make the choice. I just want to give them all the information that I have or I can provide so they can make good choices. And it's amazing. Sometimes they want to spend more money than I thought they would. And other ones, again, want the dir <laughs> dirtiest, cheapest thing. But that's how I have done doing business now for over 30 years as a consultant. Let me ask you, you one more it? question. Do you do you earn your income from the actual sale of the project or do you no. earn your income from consulting fees? 
Yes, the latter. Yeah. So that see see that's where that's where that's where there's a huge divergence, and you have more freedom and and more openness with your clients because your clients are coming to you to ask these kind of questions to solve these kind of problems, whereas they're not going down to Premier Lighting in Little Canada to uh, to do that. Greg, are they? <laughs> no. No, no, no. Yeah, you yeah, give them options, but yeah, yeah. You, you don't. You're not getting paid for your time on these options. Yeah, you're getting paid I, if you sell one of those options. Exactly, and so um, you know, I have one more question for you. This is oh, this before is gonna... you go there. I just uh, I I used to work for a distributor, then I worked for a lighting retrofit contractor, and I had the same limitations that both of you gentlemen have, and that's one reason I made the decision to go out as an independent consultant. So I, I could do more what I thought was, mm. was really good to help them out as a third-party consultant mm. for them. And, and I'll even compare bids from various contractors or ESCOs because I'm really trying to help out that end user. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's where, um, that's where uh, you know, you're, you're, you're able to um, spend a lot of time and going over your customer with those kind of things because that's why they're hiring you, Stan. I think that's a good mm -hmm. place to call it. Um, anything else you want to comment on at this point, Stan? No, I think I've covered everything on my side. I've really enjoyed having you on both times, Stan. And uh, we consider you a friend of the show. Thank you very much. And I really enjoyed both sessions with both of you. Great. Thanks, Stan. Thanks for being a guest. Okay. Take care. Keystone Technologies. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com, baby. That's KeystoneTech.com. Greg? Emergency backup happens a lot of times in light fixtures, LED fixtures that you're maybe retrofitting Come or on, even man. new sometimes. They have a few different options you can do. They have an AC LED emergency backup for type B tubes. So that your type B tube with this AC unit can actually become an emergency tube. They have AC emergency backup for recess fixtures and integrated like recess can fixtures. That's common. And they have a good solution for that. Basically anything, anytime you run into LED, you're in a pinch, Keystone can help you out and need the emergency lighting. Sorry, I should state that. And you know, not only that though, but why don't you just go ahead and tell your installers that when they're in the field, to tell you about it right away. That's tell a good them. idea. Just say to your installers, look, man, don't monk around with my customers. There's a reason why we have emergency lighting fixtures so people can have egress from the building. Mm -hmm. And then if you're, then you don't have to like, you know, act like somebody that's pretending something didn't go wrong. You just go to KeystoneTech.com, man. Grab 10 of those and get, the, get it done. Because you know the installer knows. He's ripping out that Bodine ballast. Is that what we're talking about here, Greg, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah he's something different Typically. happened in this one. Come on, man. It's a weird looking picture. What am I yeah. going to do? Go to KeystoneTech.com. <laughs> That's K E Y S T O N E T E C H.com, Greg. You know what's funny is that um, the bypass tubes don't always work on all generators, AC generators. Did you know that? Yeah. I guess I, don't, I haven't paid enough attention, but sure. So I had one job. This is not a KeystoneTech.com emergency lighting thing, but this is just an emergency lighting thing. So some buildings actually run on a generator, right? So mm -hmm. the power goes off and the generator comes on and turns on all the lights in the building again, right? Have you seen this before? Yeah. I get a lot yeah, yeah, with yeah. multi-residential high-rise. 
And uh, I did a generator test years ago, so I don't know what it is now, but I always test it first. And some, I think maybe it's the voltage or something with the hertz or, you know, whatever, the harmonic distortion. I didn't even... But you got to watch those bypass ballasts, bypass tubes, uh, type B bypass tubes on generators. Had a little bit of blinking going on and stuff like that. Another funny you. one, yeah. Does this belong mm-hmm. in the conclusion? I think it does, doesn't it? It's got a grip on lighting. It's right here and now. Let's yeah. get a grip on this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, hey, don't listen, folks. Don't hide from it, man. You know what we're talking about. You want to get that retrofit done, your installer, you know, tell them ahead of time, hey, if you see this, call me. Be ready to go to keystonetech.com and get that sorted out, man. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to NAILD.org. And if you want to learn more about the Human Centric Lighting Society, Human Centric, what is it? Human Centric Lighting Society stand. Mm-hmm. Hawaii stand. Uh, if you go there. And also, man, he's got a lot of good information about controls. We really thank Stan for coming on the show and talking to us about it. And kind of looking at it from that perspective of where he gets paid, Greg, to tell the client as opposed to bringing a sales proposal to the table. Totally different business than what most nail distributors are doing. Yeah, it is. Using his knowledge, and he had some good points he brought up about the non-energy-saving benefits of controls. Yeah, so we thank Stan. And you know what? You know, Stan Stan and Greg and Michael, well, Greg and Michael don't agree on everything, but Stan and Greg and Michael didn't agree on everything. But I think, you know, I think it's an interesting time. This age may mark an epoch, Greg. It may mark an epoch in that humans realize that we are creatures of the light. And the more that we understand light from a scientific, spiritual control, off and on, colored temperature, all these different perspectives, that is a route to wisdom. That is a route to truth. That is a route to clean energy. That is a route to solving our problems and to wellness and health and happiness. Folks, thank you for listening. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.